happy Friday, everyone. Or is it Saturday? Maybe Monday morning? Not sure. We heard from a lot of our customers that their favorite time to listen to the smooth sounds of our voices is usually on their Monday morning commute. Either way, thanks so much for being here with us this week. Lucas Feast and I had a pretty interesting week analyzing dairy markets as we released our monthly price forecast report on Monday, which was followed by our webinar on Tuesday for all of our customers. There was a global dairy trade event on Tuesday as well. Europe released their milk production figures and export figures. We also got some insight into domestic demand here in the U.S., as well as what milk production has looked like here at home during July. Boy, I don't even know where to start. How about U.S. milk production, since that's fresh in your mind, Lucas? (laughs) It was uh, definitely quite the week now that you rambled all that off. I do think milk production is a good place to start, though. This data came out on Thursday afternoon, so it's quite fresh as we record here on Friday. Total U.S. milk output in July, just a little bit below high ground expectations, but still well above prior year levels, up 2% versus July of 2020. That was due to uh, heat that significantly impacted output across several states in the West, California production turning lower versus prior year, and then a variety of other states as well, seeing really weak milk per cow that pulled production lower. Oregon, Washington, Idaho, even into Colorado and and New Mexico, some of those still above prior year, but seeing some weaker output than we might have expected overall. The Western states, though, do contrast with what we saw in the upper Midwest as Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, and other key dairy states in the region see very impressive milk yields even into the summer. Typically, looking at Wisconsin specifically, we would see production start to decline into June and July here after the peak of the spring flush in May, but July was just slightly lower versus June, not really seeing much of a seasonal contraction in the upper Midwest. That means that all these reports of ample milk are certainly true, plenty of milk across the upper Midwest. I do think also it's important to kind of look ahead to what we think is coming here in the near-term months. We are watching a few things in that area. I think uh, primarily the herd size has definitely stopped growing. We saw that shrink in both June and July. I think we might continue to see that tick slightly lower here into the fall, primarily due to tighter margins, uh, partially due to high feed costs, and partially due to these milk prices that just are not necessarily profitable or not overly profitable for a lot of farms. As farmers call cows that are unprofitable, that will tighten things up a little bit, but other things like switching out rations and trying to cut costs here will also reduce milk. That's not to say that we project any uh, year-over-year declines into the coming few months here, but into 2022, I think we could be looking at kind of flat milk production, depending on how this settles out. The only thing I will add here is yesterday morning, we got news that USDA is planning another direct payment, direct cash payment to dairy farmers. However, it is only for the first 5 million pounds of milk, which means that very small dairies, you know, up to the 200 to 250 cow herd size level will benefit the most. 
USDA was intentional with this. They announced it in Vermont with Senator Leahy. So a little bit uh, unexpected there. I wouldn't have said that this administration would necessarily be rolling out yet another direct payment, but from a milk production standpoint, that will keep some of these smaller dairies in business for a little bit longer and is borderline supportive to milk production in the end. Oh, thanks for that recap. Always appreciated. Was there anything to glean from the commercial disappearance data that was released by the USDA? How does uh, domestic demand look here in the U.S.? Yeah, good question. I think just a few key highlights here. This is, of course, June data, so it's a little bit delayed. From the cheese perspective, it was almost identical disappearance versus prior year. That was driven primarily by American cheese disappearance, which was higher versus prior year yet again, but opposite a uh, non-American styles that dipped just slightly below last year. Uh, Butter kind of on trend throughout the entirety of the second quarter, a little bit weaker versus 2020. That is influenced by the uh, strong retail butter demand that we saw during the early months of the pandemic last year. I think maybe most notably from this data is uh, really weak nonfat dry milk domestic disappearance. So while exports remain robust and we are still on track to see a record nonfat dry milk export year from the U.S., Uh, Domestic demand really weak here, uh, weakest June on record. I think this data goes back to about 1995 or so, so a few decades of of data in there. I think part of that is due to uh, plenty of milk availability, cheese plants not necessarily needing nonfat to fortify with. And then I think there's also just some early summer hesitation here of kind of waiting to see where this price will go. If people were waiting to buy domestically, they were not rewarded into July or August as the price has been fairly steadier on that 125 mark over the past few weeks. Awesome. Backing up to the beginning of the week, there was a positive global dairy trade event, and that was after eight consecutive negative prints on the average winning price up until this week. Fats and skim milk powder led the way there, though cheddar prices were also quite strong. However, New Zealand's flagship commodity, whole milk powder, remained negative, with C2 regular whole milk powder falling 1.5% from the prior event. I think it's important to continue to remind ourselves that August is a very seasonally low participation month for China, so it's not unusual to see weaker price action. But what was interesting was that Africa and Latin America stepped up to fulfill demand and kind of helped prop up prices on both fats and powders this past week. Rumors continue to swirl that New Zealand suppliers are highly committed off the auction, so it will be interesting to see how these global prices shake out into Q4 if those rumors are certainly true. Yeah, it was interesting to try to dig into some of that Fonterra data there and see exactly what that means for global prices here in the coming months. I think only thing to add, Alyssa, just briefly on the European markets, After May's 2% milk production gain, we saw that tighten a little bit into June. EU plus UK milk production up just 0.8%. And then looking at those weekly figures that provide us insight into trends into July and August, I think probably further tightening as well. Both data from France and Germany show weaker output from those two key European countries. 
Perfect. Well, you know, Lucas, it's so nice to finally do an episode together. We've been like two ships passing in the night. Between vacations. And I at least had my first, I don't know if I can call it post-COVID, maybe (laughs) mid-COVID business trip last week. So it was great to see many of our listeners in Idaho. And if we were there and we didn't get to connect, always, of course, feel free to reach out. Perfect. Thank you so much. And everyone, please enjoy the rest of your day. We'll be back on here next week to chat dairy markets. Cheers. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And if you're interested in receiving more information, as well as our analysis, please visit highgrounddairy.com to request a free 30-day trial today. Futures and options trading involves substantial risk and is not suitable for all investors.